Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of It's Crime Time. I know it's been a long time, and I was supposed to have this up. It's been recorded, but you'll find out later on here. I mentioned that my husband and I struggled with our second battle with COVID, and then something extremely unexpected happened, um, like the second week into our battle with COVID, our beloved dog, Hugen was struck by a car and killed. So we have been grieving the loss of our baby boy. And then recently, my husband's grandfather passed away of cancer. And we've been spending a lot of time with his grandmother and that side of the family and everything as they grieve the loss. So everything's just been crazy um, in August and July, and of course, the start of September. So I apologize. I'm always apologizing on here, but everything has been rough. So there's that. Anyway, on today's episode, I will be telling this chilling story of Timothy Ray Jones Jr. and how he and the system had failed his five children. And you will find out that Timothy has an extremely punchable face. If you listen to what he he says and watch his face, watch his facial expressions during his court hearing or during his confession, I don't know. There's just something about the faces he makes during the court hearing. It just, he purses his lips and he's just so arrogant. And after you find out, if you don't know this story, what he's done, I'm sure you are going to want to do more than punch him. But all right, everyone, let's get started. It's crime time. Before I continue this episode, I must place a disclaimer here, as this episode involves crimes on children. If you're sensitive to this kind of graphic content, this is your warning. Please don't torture yourself. I will not be offended if you have to click away. All right, everyone, we're going to get this started. I'm going to warn you that my voice probably sounds terrible. I am getting over my second battle with COVID. It's terrible. I feel like complete shit, but we're going to get on with this pod. All right, so Timothy Jones Jr. was born in 1981. Two parents, Timothy Jones Sr. and Cindy Jones. Cindy was only 16 when she became pregnant with Tim Jr. And when described by her husband, Tim Jones Sr., Cindy was said to be a violent and erratic person. I couldn't really find exact details of the abuse, but she was also very abusive to both her husband, Tim Sr., and her son, Tim Jr. And she was apparently a prostitute. So she was just a wild, crazy woman, it sounds like. She had always given Tim Jr. 
laxatives as an infant and she cut up clothes with knives all the time and she apparently was just loony and i'm not saying that to be rude or make fun of you know mental illness because obviously everyone knows you know i i'm a bit a big advocate for uh that sort of thing i deal with them myself but you would have to listen to just the uh, discussion that Tim Sr. has in court about her, but she did all kinds of strange things and they believe that she had a mental illness, but it was never formally diagnosed. She, I guess, never went to the doctor for it and she just, you know, let all this build up. And finally, when Tim Jr. was about 18 months old or so, she just left. She left the family and just moved on with her life. Um, she never, I guess, saw the kid again or Tim Sr. And that was that. And Tim Sr. of course later remarried. I'm also uh, not exactly sure what other abuse took place after his father remarried. Apparently there was some substance abuse and some adult domestic violence in his home. Uh, which I assume, of course, besides, you know, Cindy being abusive to his father, then his father, um, which you find out later, was an alcoholic who had some anger issues as well towards his new wife. But in terms of other substances, I'm not sure about that. I just know there was some alcoholism and some abuse by his father, which we'll talk about his father later, but he seemed to have straightened himself out eventually. So after Tim Jr. graduated high school and probably before graduating, he was kind of into this bad scene. He began stealing cars, doing cocaine and forging his father's checks. In March of 2001, when he was 19, he was finally arrested. And this time he was arrested on a cocaine charge. In September of 2001, he was then also charged for burglary, car theft and the forged checks. He was sentenced to seven years in prison in March 2002, but he actually only served time in a boot camp type facility until January 2003. Then in June of 2004, Tim Jr. was 22 and he married an 18 year old girl named Amber Kaiser. Now, apparently he and Amber had not been together that long. I believe it was only a month or so. And that is because Tim was, I believe, a fundamentalist Mormon. He got involved with this Mormon church or something of the sort. His father talks about that also in his um, interview type questioning, I guess you could say, at the hearing that he got involved in this sort of FLDS church type thing. And he, he called it a cult because his son really changed after that. Apparently, um, it's usually, you know, people find God and they, not always obviously, but they, they get better, you know, they, they do better, but that, that wasn't the case for Tim. So apparently this church believes that once you meet a woman, the quicker, the better to marry them. So he married quickly and the woman was to be kind of like a slave to the man. She was to be subservient to him. So, she was basically there to serve him, have kids, and that was that. Amber, 
Kaiser, now Amber Jones, gave birth to five children over the course of their marriage. I'm going to list the children here, but then we'll talk a little bit about them later in terms of like when they were born and stuff um, as the story goes on. First was their daughter, Mira. She was born in Pennsylvania. Go Pennsylvania. That's where I'm from. In 2006, then Elias was born in 2007 and Natan in 2008. I love these names for some reason. They're just beautiful names. Uh, born in Mississippi. And we have Gabriel in 2012 and Abigail in 2012. Born in South Carolina. So as you can tell, the family moved around quite a bit and they weren't very financially stable there from what a from what I've gathered for a while. In 2011, Tim Jr. finally attended college at the Mississippi State University. He graduated with a degree in computer engineering. It was said that he was a very intelligent person when it came to computers and technology. People said he was like a genius when it came to computers. He was so good at it. And at this time, his wife, Amber, was ecstatic with his new degree. She was hoping that Tim Jr. could finally help provide for their large family with you know he could provide them this big beautiful home since he had secured a job in south carolina working as an engineer for intel so he was computer engineer for intel earning approximately seventy-one thousand or more a year and this wasn't the case however uh he bought the family a very inexpensive shoddy trailer in lexington county in the suburbs of columbia south carolina and Amber was upset by this because she was a stay-at-home mom to their children and she didn't want a ramshackle trailer with this large of a family. She wanted a nice, beautiful home. And I can understand this. So I've seen a lot of people say where Amber was being like needy and whiny and stuff and ungrateful for Tim Jr.'s work and everything because she wasn't satisfied with getting the um, shoddy trailer. But let's be honest here. You have, well, at the time, like four kids or so, you're supposed to be subservient to your man. So as far as I know, she wasn't allowed to work. She was to stay at home and take care of the kids. And you have four kids, like I said. Why would you want you, you and your kids living in a ramshackle trailer that's not safe for your kids? You have to be a servant to your man, basically, and he's really not returning the favor. He's giving you this shitty place to live in, you know, when he could give you this nice, not even a huge mansion she's asking for, basically. She just wanted a nice home for her family to live in that was, you know, obviously not dangerous and shitty, which we'll find out later about this trailer for the kids, and one that she can take care of and you know, just raise her kids in, but that's not what she got. So she was upset. And I, I would probably be a little upset too. Um, if, if, you know, he could provide more now, if that's all he could provide and that's what he provided. Okay. You know, you're trying your best, but he, he could have provided better. So in September of 2011, some Jones family relatives actually visited their trailer and they filed a report with child services uh, due to the conditions of the home because, well, it was shit. So DSS visits the home, but unsuccessful contact is made on two occasions. Then they visit again on September 29th as well. They find that Amber is pregnant and homeschooling a three, four, and a five-year-old. Okay, so 
apparently when the home was bought, she had three children, but either way, she had kids, she was having more kids, shitty house. Yeah. The children are clean and they're in good health, but the home has some clutter. DSS visits again in October and they find that the house is cluttered again and there's an air vent in the floor that's uncovered, which I'm not sure if you know, even in some homes, but trailers, they have these air vents on the floor and usually they're relatively big. And if it's uncovered, a child could easily get their leg, you know, stuck in there. They could be, you know, running, um, trip, break a leg in there. I mean, they're pretty dangerous if they're uncovered. So, of course, DSS found that. The final visit in October, the house is found to be cleaner, and then DSS recommends uh, the case is unfounded. Tim is also hostile towards a DSS worker during uh, the October 28th visit. Police assist during this visit. Tim is then given a list of what needs to be fixed in the house and cleaned. The family then has to stay in a hotel. DSS determines the case is for a risk of injury due to the conditions of the home, not actually for neglect or abuse of the children on the parents' part. So it's just the home that's, you know, causing that risk. October 31st, DSS finds Tim is only at the house and it is extremely clean. In December, the case is reassigned to a new caseworker. In February of 2012, DSS finds the children are unharmed, they're in good health, and the house meets at least the minimal standards. The couple then separated for about two weeks in April of 2012, and according to Tim Jr.'s divorce lawyer, when he returned to the house, he discovered that Amber had been putting the kids to bed and going next door to meet her paramour. Now that's what the lawyer's term was, which is of course, you know, her lover, her side piece, whatever you want to call him. So next door, there's a 19 year old guy living. Boy, a 19 year old boy. <laughs> so according to the court documents related to their divorce, Amber was actually having an affair with their 19 year old neighbor. DSS visits and provides Amber a plan to address the housekeeping issues. Amber tells DSS she actually just filed a domestic violence report the previous weekend. DSS suggests that she needs to go to a shelter, but she refuses to do this. The couple officially files for divorce on June 7th of 2012. Tim told his marriage counselor that he distrusted Amber because of some things that happened in his childhood. And he also has accused his wife of neglecting the children. And of course, DSS opened an investigation into the family's home. And I guess the allegations of abuse or neglect. The home was in a state of disarray, but they closed the case. The couple remained separated with Tim taking the children to Mississippi to live with his parents. On June 26 of 2012, Amber went to Mississippi to try to get four of the children while she was pregnant with their fifth, Abigail, but Tim's relatives refused to turn over the children. Tim was then granted temporary custody on July 30th. In October, DSS closes the case finally, saying the risk is reduced and their services are no longer needed. And in December, Amber gives birth to Abigail who I found out, but I'm not sure of this. Her name was supposedly later changed to Elaine Marie instead of Abigail. 
their divorce was finalized in October of 2013, and Tim was awarded primary custody of the kids. At this time, Tim's 31 years old and Amber is 27. Now, here's where some abuse allegations come in. May 5th of 2014, the Department of Social Services interviewed Tim after some allegations of abuse. The children told DSS that their dad likes to horseplay, but he also makes them do these exercises for punishment. They're, they don't really seem afraid of him though, but one of the children was noted as having some kind of mark on his neck. So for punishment, he makes them do workouts like running around the house for long periods of time, um, just other physical exercises so that I guess they will get, you know, mad and hopefully not act out again because they don't want to work out. On June 16th, Tim admits to DSS that he has physically disciplined the children and DSS provides a safety plan with no physical discipline allowed. At this time, the house is noted as being clean. On August 7th, DSS and deputies examine the children after some physical abuse allegations. The caseworker says that Tim seems to be overwhelmed because all five children at this time, he is unable to maintain the home and keep the house clean anymore, but the children are clean and they're groomed and they are dressed appropriately. So the children look good, but the home is not, is not nice anymore. He was keeping it, you know, near spotless. Um, as I mentioned earlier, on August 28th, Tim picks up his three older children from elementary school and his two other children from their daycare. And, and this day, he's charged for unlawful neglect after he puts his one-year-old in an unreasonable risk of harm when he forces her and her four siblings out of a car near a Walmart in Lexington County. I'm not exactly sure what happened here. Maybe he just kicked him out of the car because he was pissed at him and drove off for a bit and they were found. That's kind of what it sounds like he was charged for him. So on September 1st, then Tim was seen stopping at a Dunkin Donuts in Spartanburg during a drive in which he went through South and North Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. On September 2nd, his children were absent from school and they miss a scheduled visit to their mother's home. So finally, the next day, on September 3rd, Amber finally reports Tim and the children missing, and the search for them begins. Three days after that, on September 6th, Tim is stopped at a vehicle safety checkpoint in Smith County, Mississippi. He's arrested on DUI and drug possession charges and held in jail. While being held, officers determined that his children are the ones that have been reported missing in South Carolina. Blood and cleaning materials are found inside of his car, and they, of course, suspect foul play due to his missing children. September 8th, Lexington County charges Tim with unlawful conduct toward a child in order to hold him while the search for his children continues, just to see if they can get any more information out of him. And they don't want to let him go in case they do, you know, for whatever reason, find the children. September 9th. Tim finally begins to cooperate with the investigators and he leads them to the bodies of his five children on a rural road in Alabama. Lexington County Sheriff's CSI traveled to Alabama to process this evidence because of course they were murdered in 
Lexington County. So those police and crime scene investigators have to actually travel to the scene because while the bodies are found in Alabama, they were killed, you know, in Lexington County. On September 11th, Tim is finally brought back to Lexington County and he is charged with five counts of murder. So Tim made some statements to psychiatrists and the police. I actually heard his interrogations, but he claims that on the night of August 28th, so this is the night he was already kind of having issues with the children because that's the night he apparently left them, I guess, near Walmart or something. So he was already pissed and overwhelmed, I guess. But he angrily confronted Natan, who was six, after supposedly, now they never really know if this is true or not, after Natan broke an electrical outlet in the home. So to punish Natan, Tim forced him to do these strenuous exercises for a really long time such as running around the house for hours and hours and hours. So Natan was outside, it was hot, and he was just, you know, he had him running around the house for hours, um, probably jumping jacks, push-ups, you know, all kinds of workouts. And Natan, you know, couldn't breathe. I mean, he was overheated. And of course, Tim didn't care, so he just sent Natan to bed, and he later found Natan dead in his bed. Tim contemplated what to do for hours after Natan died before he just decided, well, I'm going to strangle the other four children. Instead of, you know, calling 911 and saying, hey, I found my son dead in bed or, you know, getting some help, he just decides, well, I'm going to kill the other four. He claims he wanted to send the other children to heaven so they could all just be together. But the reality is it's believed he just didn't want Amber to have the kids. And I, I believe that as well. I just think he he knew that he fucked up and the one was dead, so he was going to prison. And I think he just thought, oh shit, you know, my ex-wife's gonna get the rest of them. So I don't want her to have him, so I'm just gonna kill him. And I honestly think that's probably what was going through his head. He then wrapped the bodies in plastic, traveled around making all these erratic trips um, and buying some synthetic marijuana and of course smoking it and drinking. He admitted he was doing research into other countries who do not extradite suspects back to the United States and ways to disintegrate bodies faster. While driving around, he also played his daughter's favorite song, which that, that kind of creeps me out. That makes me really sad that he would play her favorite song with her body in the, I just don't understand how you could not, I mean, we don't know, but be hysterically weeping or want to just off yourself for sitting there, you know, driving around, torturing yourself with your, your child's favorite song while your child's body's in the car. I would have just, I, yeah, I would have probably just wrecked my car into something knowing that I just did that to my daughter. I don't know. So he drove around with them for around nine days. It's thought before dumping them. Tim's lawyer attempted to make a case that Tim was dealing with mental illness when he killed his children and that his grasp on reality and his sanity was damaged due to his ex-wife leaving him for this teenager and his alcohol and synthetic marijuana usage. His lawyer told jurors he's crazy. You can't rationalize crazy, but at the same time, he thought it was the right thing to do, end quote. So I don't doubt that he was dealing with mental illness 
and I don't doubt that maybe his grasp on reality and his sanity was damaged. Like, I don't doubt that he was fucked up, obviously. You know, it's kind of a genetic thing, too, the way his mom was and everything. And synthetic marijuana definitely fucks with your head. I've heard a lot of stories about it. I've been around people who've used it. And I know that, <clears throat> you know, it does cause a lot of issues. And, of course, alcohol. I have my thoughts on alcohol, but, of course, if you're drinking a lot, it yeah, it's definitely going to affect your, you know, your judgment abilities and your sanity. But that that's still not an excuse for what he did. There's plenty of people that deal with severe mental illness who don't kill their five children and drive around with their bodies for nine days and then dump them off. Like, I, you know, I'm not him, so I can't say. But if you listen to him talk about this, he just has zero remorse, like zero. He doesn't feel bad. He, he doesn't, he, he doesn't act like he misses his children. He doesn't act like, you know, it's the end of the world. Like that's your five kids. That's your kids. You know, you lost your five kids and you did it. That's the worst part of it. And he just doesn't feel anything. If you watch him in court, like I said, he has a punchable face. He, he's pursing his lips the entire trial. He's just making this like snobby face and it ew, yeah it's very punchable and um it's it's pretty bad the court case is very long you can watch the entire thing though but i have seen a lot of it and his face just kills me it's gross but um yeah so i don't think that he had any diminished responsibility due to his mental illness just because, you know, his sanity was damaged and all this blah, blah, blah. I do agree, you know, yeah, mental illness. I do think he was crazy and all that, but no excuse for killing your five kids. So there's that. Tim's stepmother testified um, in court that when she was married or when she married Tim's father, Tim Sr., when Tim was 10, he was raised in an atmosphere where Tim Sr. had physically abused her and he consistently abused alcohol. So I guess after Tim's, Tim Sr.'s wife left, which would be Tim Jr.'s mother, Cindy, he was, you know, yeah, he was dealing with a lot of trauma. He, um, he became physically abusive and drank a lot. And I'm not saying that that's right, but that's how he chose to deal with his trauma from his, his last wife. Tim Sr. was on the stand for two hours where he was questioned. He said his son was a math and computer prodigy whose unstable youth, dysfunction, and erratic ways led him into a religious cult, a doomed marriage, and eventually into murder. His father's testimony is relatively powerful. I understand he's dealt with his own demons, but this man was straight, tell it like it is, no bullshit. I think he's 100% truthful. I like the guy. I understand, like I said, you know, I don't condone, obviously, his alcoholism and his abuse. I don't think it's right. That's how he dealt with his trauma. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that's okay. I'm not encouraging it. I don't obviously think it's right. I'm not saying that. But this guy, he he was he was straight, tell it like it is. And, and he lost his five grandchildren, I couldn't imagine. So I do encourage you to check out the court case in its entirety. Once again, it's on YouTube. It was posted by uh, Law and Crime Network. I love that channel on YouTube. Check them out. 
it's also posted by several news channels, but I'm going to play just a snippet of Tim Sr.'s trial questions here. Talk about summer that you had the babies at your house with you and Julie in Mississippi. Okay. I just want you to tell the jury, what was that period of time like for you and your family? Well, I mean, it was just, you know, great time. We had the kids with us, and I teach, I taught Gabriel. I taught him a lot of swim, actually. But I taught Gabriel, and he was only six months, you know. So it was like a little tadpole. It was pretty cute. It was fun. And the pool that you had at your house, did you put that in for it? The yes. And how, over the course of that summer, where was Tim? Tim was traveling back and forth from South Carolina to Mississippi every weekend. And was he still with Intel at that point? Yes. So when would you when would you see him every week? Well, you leave after work Friday, of course, and it's a possibly eight nine hour drive. So you get there way late in the morning and uh, get up real early, play with the kids for the day. You know, we have lunch, dinner, whatever. You know, swim, just have some fun, and then you go to bed and get up, have breakfast, and you know, lunchtime you head back to South Carolina. Did you? Were you concerned about him making that trip? Yeah, I actually, after I think like a month and a half or so, I told him he's got to go every two weeks. Because, you know, he's just going to say, maybe going to get killed. Like, he can talk to your boss and maybe, you know, work some out where he can take a, you know, early Friday, you know, late Monday or something, you know, we can make it a little longer, you know, and every two weeks it wouldn't be so bad. Yes, sir. <clears throat> now, at the end of that summer, I think the babies went back to live in South Carolina. Yeah, well, we, we was hoping he was going to come with us because, you know, we already registered for school and, you know, all nine yards with Timmy, you wanted him with him. And, uh, you know, I mean, there are his kids and I, I, you know, I know he loved them. I was just scared for all of them because I knew he was still in love with Amber. You know, so, you know. Now, um, I want to skip forward about uh, just a few months from the end of the summer until Christmas 2012. Okay. When, um, did, did Timmy and, and babies come to Mississippi for that Christmas? Yes. Okay. And when, when they arrived, what was your, what was your immediate impression of Timmy at that point? Something was real wrong with Tim. He was, it was Timmy. He was pissed off. I mean, he was just, I mean, I could just see it, you know I mean? And, uh, you know, he's just, <laughs> I can't, he, he never told me what he was mad about, but he, I mean, I would call my mother and stuff because, you know, we'd set up Christmas dinner and stuff in my mom's house. Our Christmas Eve, my, our Christmas Eve at my mom's and Christmas at my house. And I called my mom because, you know, she knows him as well as I do, of course, and said, you know, you gotta be real careful. And I thought, you know, Timmy's something's wrong. You know, I don't know, he's pissed off. And, you know, so we go through it and uh, he's just, all night he's just you know it's irritated and i know what it is you know he's he's you know it's time holidays you're with your family your wife your loved ones and he ain't got it and it's hurting him and so he's just trying to take it out on us did he leave mississippi angry very yeah this is uh yeah it was christmas but about well, actually, it was the day after Christmas. It was about 12.31 in the morning. And uh, he's been, again, now we've been dealing with this day or so now. And 
and he's picking at his sister, Jackie. And I tell him, you know, you know, finally I just say, you know, because she's like, Dad, will you tell Timmy to stop? And I said, Tim, man, leave her alone already. Go to bed. And he went slap off. I mean, he just told me how I never loved him, you know, how he couldn't stand me, didn't want to be around me, you know, stick this there, stick that there. And, you know, he's out of here. And he took his kids and, you know, and, and, you know, I've done this with Timmy, you know, more than once. You know, this is not something, like I said, again, if I made him mad, um, for six months, year, and I was just sort of upset because not only have I been helping him, you know, I mean, I'm doing everything I can, you know, all of us, and, and it's like, you know, it's not just this, it's just disrespectful, and, you know, and I, I don't raise my kids to be like that, you know? and so I just said, you know what, you're going to apologize or I'm done. He never apologized. When he left, um, was that the last time you ever saw the babies? Yep. How long had you gone in the past when Timmy was mad you before one of y'all finally reached out to the other? Uh, maybe a year at the most. Now, after Christmas 2012, he leaves mad. <clears throat> when is the first time that you talk to him or communicate with him after that? Couple days before the baby died. And what were you talking to him about? Coming down for a holiday weekend. Talking about coming to Mississippi. Yes, sir. For what? I guess that, that was Labor Day. Labor Day. And did you reach out and start that communication? I did. You called and apologized. You apologized to him. Um. Were you excited that he was coming? Oh yeah, real excited. Now, your mom and dad, we call Larry your dad, he's not your biological dad. He's my, yeah, he's my dad. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yes, sir. Your, your mom and dad had seen Timmy and babies before you started talking. Yeah, you know, with Timmy, it was uh, all or nothing pretty much. So if you didn't talk, like my mom told you the other day, you know, if it wasn't talking to her, he was talking to me. So we always had communication one way or another, you know. Yeah, I, I didn't necessarily talk. I mean, I didn't talk to him, but I knew what was going on, you know, and he had said back how it was so easy to raise children. He don't understand how everybody has such a hard time. And I was, you know, it was, it was just like a stab at me, you know, of course. And it was like, yeah, he pulled it. <laughs> I raised three children. But did your, did your, did your mom and dad's visit with Timmy and the babies in Atlanta, did that play a role in you reaching out to Tim? That was the reason. And why? What did they And my dad seen something wrong. And your dad, did your dad tell you, I want you to talk to Timmy? Yes, sir. How did you first find out about the babies and well, the babies being this? Um, my mother, you know, because uh, I think he took me off the uh, emergency list and put my mom on, of course, you know. So you call my mom to school, you mean? Yes. So you found out from your mom? Yes. And what did you do when, when you found out from the school that the baby Well, I started calling, of course, and I police, but I, I called Intel, you know, to see if Timmy had been there. And they told me, you know, I hadn't been there the last few days. And and then I just called school, you know. And I mean, I called everybody, I called, you know. I even asked them, like, can we put an Amber alert out? And I was like, 
can't do that because he has custody of the children. You know, they're not considered Amber or I guess. Did you eventually start talking with police officers or law enforcement in South Carolina? Yeah, I had him go to Amber's house. I mean, actually, I think I had Mr. Kenny go to his house and possibly to Amber's house as well, you know, and, and police, you know, whoever. I mean, I wasn't doing anything. This is still when you, when you, it's just that they're missing, right? Yes. Timmy hadn't been around. Timmy and the children, yes. And was one of the people you talked to during that time, Investigator Creech from the Lexington County Sheriff's Yes. And when you were talking to him, did you tell him that you were worried that Timmy might have an undiagnosed mental health problem? Well, I mean, yeah, because, you know, I was worried he got it from his mom. I just seen him going through some crazy, I mean, he was just off the charts, man. And it scared the hell out of my parents, you know. <laughs> it scared the hell out of me. How did you find out that Timmy had been arrested in this state? I was called by the, uh, I believe, the under uh, Chef Crumpton. From Smith County, Mississippi? Yes. Somebody from that department? Yes. I'm pretty sure it was Mr. Crumpton. And based on your conversation with him, at that point, did you have any idea that the babies were dead? No. What did they ask of you that first night, which I guess was the... They told me not to come. I was already in the car, you know. I mean, literally, I was in the car. And I was in that way, and they said, you can't. I was like, well, I'm coming anyway. He's like, well, you're going to sit out there, and I can end. And this is the night that Timmy was arrested? Yes. Did they ask you to come back the following day? Yes. With who who went with you to Raleigh, Mississippi to meet with law enforcement? My wife. Julie. Julie. When you get to to Raleigh, Mississippi, who'd you meet with? I was uh, Mr. Crump, the sheriff, of course, and the sheriff and a few other folks. I don't remember exactly who all was there. And what what was your what was your impression of what they what they wanted you to do? What, what well we all we all said talked, you know, because they still had nothing, I know I mean and, uh, well, thought they had nothing. And we just discussed, you know, where would Timmy take the kids? I mean, what, you know, we discussed a little bit of everything. I mean, just try to, you know, see what, what the hell was going on. And did you know that Timmy hadn't given them any information? Well, I had known that I had raised all my children to say, you know, and I don't, I didn't raise my kids to be bad, but I've seen a lot of people who get hurt from getting arrested. And so I, I told them, never, you never talk to cops, you ask two things. Lawyer, my father. Okay. And so, did you assume? That I assume that's what he had told said to him. Yes. And did you think that you might be able to have an influence over over him? You might be able to get him to talk. Well, yeah, just a little different circumstances. I didn't care about what I said. I, you know, it was like, uh, you know, let me in the room. I'll get him to talk. <laughs> because you wanted to know where the baby. Oh yeah. Did they bring you into an interview with Timmy on the 7th of September 2014? Yes. And tell the jury that Tim that you saw when you walked into that room in the courthouse in Smith County. Well, uh, you know, I know Mr. Crumpton and it was, you know, from him sweating and stuff, but I mean, he was, I mean, he even asked me when we left, you know, do you know that boy? And I was like, man, I don't know who the hell that was. I mean, he was off the charts. I mean, he was just rampant and raving, and, you know, and it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't a kid. It wasn't my son. I mean, it, and I tried, we tried everything. I tried being nice to him, 
know, I mean, I tried making him mad, you know, just anything to try to tell us where the kids are because he's talking crazy stuff. Like, dropped him off at Walmart. A couple seconds later, I like, kicked one out the car while I was moving, you know, and I was like, what the hell's wrong with you, man? Did he, was he saying things about Cynthia's mother? Cynthia's in my head. The only way to get her out is shoot me. And, you know, I just, you know, I obviously thought that was it. You know, he snapped, you know, and I didn't, I didn't feel like it was a good, <laughs> good for the kids at that point. In terms of you, you, you thought that they were probably dead. I, you know, that was, yeah, it was pretty high. <laughs> and did anything, did anything happen during that interview that made you, that confirmed in your mind that the babies were dead? Yes. What's that? Um, well, when we were in there talking about it, you know, the officers were telling me how they, you know, they pulled him over, of course, and, and arrested him, and that they found, uh, you know, a little bit of blood in the car, and they said, "Well, they said it, a little bit of blood in the car," and they weren't sure if it was human or animal. And uh, about three quarters into this little interview thing, we were trying to do to get him to talk. One of them got—I don't know who exactly was—one of them got mad and uh, jumped up and yelled out there's a substantial amount of blood in that vehicle now where the hell are them kids and i just knew man behind a shadow of a duck because i mean I, I was told a little you know I, substantial tells me that you know that there's been some testimony from <clears throat> some law enforcement officers about that interview that you were involved in on the 7th of september 2000 wonderful bunch of fellows man yes, sir. and they, they have they have, they have told the jury about an incident where Timmy put his hands up to your throat, and I want I want the jury to hear what was your impression of how that. Yeah, I, you know, I think their impression was a little different than mine because at that point, like I said, I was trying to make him mad, you know, to see if you know I could piss him off and say something, really slip up or something, you know, anything. And uh, you know, I, when I, well, you know, I get him mad, and of course he gets mad. He's like, and he ran up to me real quick and said, you know, I could kill you. And I was like, you can't, I love you. It don't matter. You can't kill me. It don't, you know, it's okay. You know, just you know, whatever it is. And, and of course he just put his, he moved his hand toward my throat and he never even touched me. And then he pulled away and just, you know, continued crying and just going crazy. But I tried, man, I tried so hard. Yeah. I think they, I think the officers agreed <laughs> and you came back the next day because they asked you to. Yes. And I think that, I think that they didn't bring you actually into that interview, but they asked you to talk to Timmy at the end of it. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I mean, and I understand what the, Mr. Creech and the, the FBI fellow was saying, but I mean, it wasn't really explained to us that way, quite that way. I mean, we were all sitting in like a big round table, you know and trying to come up with ways to make this boy talk, you know, where if he did do something, which I'm figuring at this point he has, you know, where the children are at and so on and so forth. So I guess you'd call brainstorming, you know, notice, you know, try that and get the pictures, you know, try that. And it's like, and if that don't work, you know, if you don't tell you nothing, then, you know, I could go in and, you know, give, you know, put it on some more, you know, but obviously they got what they wanted. But I, I mean, I felt like they were, involved in this and so it was a little and i don't call it misleading just you know sort of heartbreaking a little bit because i thought i was trying to help and they sort of made it like you know they didn't need me at all which you know i mean they, they go to school for that of course you know and i just i just wanted my babies 
were you trying to help them in any way that you possibly could? Yes. And do you do you have any animosity about? No, this? no, no, not at all. Not at all. Are you grateful to them? Very, very grateful to all of them. And when you talked to Timmy after he was after he was interviewed on the eighth, when he that's the, when he was interviewed by Detective Creech, Special Agent Man, mm -hmm. did you go in or did they ask you to go in and have a, a conversation with him about going to find the, the baby's remains? Yes, they did. And uh, of course, you know, when I went there because you know we had discussed it, you know, whatever happened is gonna let me spend a few minutes with him, you know, at least, you know, let him know I love him and you know. Hopefully, you know, things are going to, you know, be okay. And and uh, they don't know where the babies are. And, and so I just told them, like, you know, please just show them, man. You know, I'll go with you. Whatever I have to do. So you, you offered to go with them to, to find the babies? Yeah, I told Timmy I'd go with him if it's what it took. And did he want you to go with him? No. You know, he said he didn't want to be. He said, but I'll tell him. I'll show him. So I understand that was a pretty long segment of audio there, but I really wanted you to hear that because it was very powerful coming from Tim Sr. Because he is a really straightforward guy. He is, I believe he was being, you know, he was 100% honest. I mean, he's, he's a pretty good guy. Now he has demons of his own, obviously, that he has worked on and worked through and you know, despite those, he seems to have really cleaned himself up and he's always made a point to raise his children, you know, to not be like him, to not, to not mess up their lives and do the things that he's done. And if you listen to the entirety, which like I said, again, I encourage you to listen to the entirety of at least Tim Sr.'s questioning and everything his testimony is about two hours but it's definitely a listen that's worth your while it's very heartbreaking um tim senior was crying in a lot of the audio that i just played but it really speaks volumes to you know how this case could have went if tim senior would have been able to take the children while amber and tim jr maybe got their shit together or Maybe they never would have got their shit together and Tim Sneer could have raised his grandbabies for good. And this never would have happened. This would have, you know, been avoided completely. He clearly loved his grandchildren. He clearly was, you know, he stated in there he was a better, a better grandfather than he was a father. And he knows that. And Tim was always trying to make his dad seem like you know, less of a person, or he, he was trying to make his dad feel like less of a person. He was trying to outdo his dad and, and say, you know, haha, I'm a better father than you, basically in everything that he did. And he got mad that night. You heard his father, I believe, talk about how he got mad um, the night of Christmas or Christmas Eve of 2012. He loaded his kids up and he drove home and he didn't speak to his father until about three or four days before the children were actually murdered. So that kind of speaks to what type of person Tim Jr. already was to not talk to his own father. So Tim Sr. didn't really know exactly what was going on. He didn't really know how bad, you know, Tim was struggling with the kids. He knew some of it, 
just because of Tim Sr.'s mother and everything, you know, reporting to him, like, what was going on, because Tim Jr. would still speak to his grandmother about, you know, what was going on and everything. And then, of course, the visit. They went down to visit, I guess, and kind of told Tim Sr. what was going on and everything at the house and the children, and I guess things weren't going well. But that's a really, like I said, really powerful part of the trial and I liked him senior. I think he's a very, you know, he's a he's a blunt, straight to the point, just straight shooter kind of dude. And he reminds me of my own father, uh, in a way. And uh, so I thought that was kind of it was kind of neat. You know, he just wanted the best for his kids and and his grandkids and it just sucks, you know. It sucks that this probably could have pre been prevented had Tim not stopped talking to his dad um, for that period of time. His dad would have been there for him. His dad, you know, he said he could have come to him. Any of his kids can come to him. And of course, you can't turn back time. So that's the sad part of it. So the hearing, I guess, lasted about, the murder trial itself lasted about three weeks. And then there was a sentencing phase of the trial that was about eight days. And it took the jury in, um, on June 13th, 2019, it took the jury just one hour and 45 minutes to decide that Tim Jr. deserved the death penalty rather than life in prison. And I usually don't like to throw my opinion in here a whole lot, but I agree fully. You killed your five babies. I mean, so I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. He obviously is pissed off because he didn't get his insanity defense. They didn't agree with that. You know, he was determined to be guilty. He got the death penalty. And... And that's that. And... I just... I obviously agree that if you kill your kids, you're mentally ill. Obviously, that's not normal. There is something wrong with you if you kill your children or anyone for that matter in in that kind of, you know, manner. I mean, if it's not to defend yourself or, you know, for some reason that's valid and you just brutally kill somebody and, and drive around in your car with their body, especially your children, yes, there's something wrong with you. But there's also something wrong with a lot of people all over the world. We all have some something wrong with us. A lot of us have mental illnesses, you know, but we don't kill our kids and we don't, you know. And if he thought he was so crazy and he knew he had, you know, a mental illness, why didn't you get help for it? There's, I hate this stuff. There's so many people that aren't mentally ill until they kill someone or they, they end up in prison and then magically they're mentally ill. You know, at trial. Oh, I, I've been suffering. Get some help. Seriously. You know, if you think it's getting to a crazy point or a point where you can't handle it anymore, get some help instead of like waiting until you murder, well, your five children, for instance, and then 
magically now at trial you're mentally ill. See, all of these people, they just come out and they say, well, I was nuts. I was mentally ill. I was insane at the time. Why didn't you get some help before that if you couldn't handle things? And I know a lot of people are afraid and I'm ranting, but anyway, there's that. <clears throat> so, of course, you know that the prosecutors wanted to lay out that he was the cold-blooded killer. He went and he killed each one of his kids after he caused Natan to die by forcing him to do these horrendous physical exercises as punishment. And Natan even wanted to go back to his mom before the killings. And then in, I guess in court, they played this phone call between um, Tim and his dad. And Tim tried to blame Natan for causing him to snap. So he didn't, he never took any, I guess he never took the blame. He never took, you know, any kind of, I don't know, any kind of responsibility really for his own actions. It was always, well, this person caused me to do this. This person caused me to do this. His dad kind of mentions that as well in his um, testimony that he just also was blaming other people. You had to apologize to him first, you know, whether he did something wrong. If you didn't, you know, if his dad didn't call him back and apologize to him, even if Tim Jr. was in the wrong, he would never talk to him. So then Jones lawyers was obviously arguing that um, Tim Jones Jr. was insane. And that's why he committed the killings, because he was insane. But in finding him guilty of the murders, the jury rejected that premise that he was insane. Even Amber, the children's mom, of course, asked for mercy for Tim. She said she would understand if that's what the jury shows, but she said that, you know, the children would not want their father to be dead. They were alive, of course. Now, he was actually scheduled to be executed in November of 2019, but this was delayed because, you know, when you get the death penalty, you have an automatic appeal process. So that's what makes inmates spend years on death row until ultimately they're killed. But the death penalty is legal in South Carolina. No one's been executed in South Carolina since 2011, however. But that is actually a crazy thing. And the crazy fact is the state had an inability to get the drugs necessary to execute inmates by lethal injection. So weird to me. South Carolina's General Assembly passed a new law that aims to bypass that problem because it offers inmates an option to die by the electric chair or by firing squad. Both of those options suck. They could both go wrong and both be like torture. But if you're a criminal that does, does something that deserves the death penalty, then I mean, I really don't care if you're tortured or suffer. So that's totally fine. But that's crazy because I don't think that inmates are going to choose those options. I would think they would just want to die easy and peaceful, which by the way, lethal injection, whole nother story is not always painless. So that law was signed into measure because it's necessary to give families justice still. And if, you know, they're never going to get their justice, if these killers just sit on death row and, and wait and wait and wait because they can't get the drugs to lethally inject people. So by giving people this option of, you know, 
being able to choose the electric chair or the firing squad, that's going to allow more families of victims to get to get their justice sooner. So that's basically where we are with um, Tim Jones Jr. He did attend his appeals hearing. And it's, it's kind of gross because South Carolina's Supreme Court justices even actually doubt the fairness of the death penalty conviction that Tim received because I guess even, I don't know if they're going along with what his lawyers say, but apparently the trial judge ruined Tim's chances of winning an insanity plea because he excluded testimony that could have supported Tim's claim that he is schizophrenic. The justices expressed their dissatisfaction with the state's defense of how the trial was handled, telling the state's lawyer that one of her arguments just didn't make sense. So this, I'm not exactly sure what argument didn't make sense and how justices are even actually mad that he got the death penalty. I mean, that's crazy, but whatever. But he wants his conviction overturned. He wants a whole new trial. And apparently his arguments and the appeals are just on the exclusion of this testimony that could have spared him the death penalty. And I guess autopsy photos of the children were, and crime scene photos were shown. And they were just apparently shown to shock the jury. And, and he doesn't want them shown. Apparently that was, he thinks that was just, you know, way out of hand and they shouldn't have been shown. But I mean, a lot of trials show crime scene and death photos and, you know, everything like that, just to show what the person did. I mean, that's, it is a shock factor, but it's also a, kind of an information factor. It's put in there to inform the jury, you know, what happened, what went on. So that's, I mean, that's, that's where we are. I guess there's no rolling as of right now. So he's still on the, on death row, but there's no rolling on his appeal as of yet. So yeah, I apologize for the extreme length of this pod, but I did a lot of blabbing in it. This case really pisses me off, but totally look him up. I mean, punchable face, definitely. All right, everyone, that concludes this episode of It's Crime Time. If you enjoyed, please consider liking or subscribing on whatever podcast platform you get your podcasts and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.